Hey folks, and welcome to This Week in Games with your favorite dad crew. So today we got three topics going through. We're going to talk about first about Apex Legends topping 50 million players in first month. Some staggering numbers. Then we're going to talk about Microsoft wanting Xbox Game Pass on PlayStation 4. And that cross-platform news is expected at GDC 2019 which is actually GDC's next week, depending on when you're listening to this. So we're one week away from GDC 2019. Anyway, and then third topic today is going to be about Nintendo and Nintendo actually asking its mobile gaming partners to tone down the microtransaction. Now, if you're going to GDC, you can catch us uh, on Monday. We're going to have a couple of different events. So we'll uh, and the links to those events will will be in this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast after the GDC, then forget about it. You know, it's it's already over. <laughs> so on that notion, um, this week in game, episode twenty five. Hey guys, what's up? Twig25. Are, are you both excited about GDC next week? I love GDC. Oh. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, actually, I, uh, GDC is not so cool for me. Not, not many of my folks are actually there at GDC, but it's always fun to hang out with all the folks at the W, get drunk. What, what, what are you guys most excited about? Is there any specific news or event or talk that uh, you're I, looking for? I, I, I'm curious as to what Microsoft ultimately announces here at GDC. It seems like they're the ones that uh, they're going to be the ones that are going to have any you know more announcements than anybody else, as far as I know. Right. So we'll see. How about the uh, the Google announcement? Oh, is Google going to announce something? Yeah, they're, yeah they're, I, they're rumored to to be also announcing Project Stream as well. Oh, okay, that'll be exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a little bit worried about Google right now. It doesn't seem like they're getting as much traction as they thought they would in terms of content. But it'll be interesting to see how they present it, and you know, and what they present. Do they present a device, or do they just present the service, or a combination of both? Um, and then, what content do they have? Is, is ultimately the pro- the uh, the big thing. Hmm. Yeah, Joe. What are you What are you excited about other than than coming to um, to look at to to see our our talk? Uh, well, yeah. So definitely excited about the deconstructor mixer and dinner. Uh, number of events announcements, and you know I'm gonna be cruising around and trying to shoot some videos as well. <laughs> so, so that should be exciting. <laughs> oh my god! A video like interviews. Yeah, yeah, for 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 YouTube, but uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm I mean, what do I know? I mean, we have a blog and a podcast, so I guess the video was inevitable. But um, uh, yeah, yeah so no one can we, no one wants to see my face, so yeah. keep me off that one. Yeah, <laughs> same here. So, do we want to jump into the first news? Let's do it, Eric. All right. Apex Legends tops 50 million players in the first month. So this was an announcement um, about the over, I mean, the huge success that Apex Legends has been for EA. Um, it had, it only took a couple of weeks, actually, to get to 50 million versus Fortnite, which took several months. Um, so clearly, like, these type of games are getting more and more popular and um, 
And with the marketing that they did, as we talked about the last time, um, with the with the with the influencers and the uh, podcasters and the it's not sorry not podcasters the YouTubers, uh, it just it's just taken off. Um, and my understanding is they haven't really even penetrated Asia in a meaningful way, so that could propel them even further, um, particularly in China if they do a deal with NetEase or Tencent for distribution, etc. So, for me in my world, uh, what I care about is whether they are making money, right, and wh what it means for EA from a financial perspective. And I know a lot of people um, would prefer not for them not to make money and just create gate games. But for me, I just need to understand if they are making money. So, you know, with 50 million people, it's uh, it's an amazing opportunity for them to cash in. And so far, it looks pretty solid. I mean, my understanding is they're probably doing like two to three million a day um, for the first you know few weeks uh, of this thing has been out. But that's more of a guess than anything. But what I don't, I'm a little bit concerned about is why have they have not released a battle pass yet, right? Um, you know, if they were optimizing for revenue, I think they'd probably focus on introducing more money sinks uh, to the game as soon as possible because this is when they have the largest audience and those opportunity to, to, to convert and keep people engaged. Instead, it seems like they're working on balancing issues and character issues and hitbox things and all the stuff that makes it more fair for the player base, which is great for the gamer, but not necessarily great for revenue. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I know, um, the, the, I think what, what fundamentally with me for these guys, I think there's like basically three things that they're going to have some challenges, um, from a development perspective. First of all, you know, despite, you know, their successes over the years in terms of great content, they have no, absolutely no experience running a live service, right? Um, at least Epic had a few games under their belt and kind of understood what it would take to run a live service. Um, but uh, Respawn just does, has not had that experience. Um, also, Respawn is really focused on gameplay. I mean, they make some amazing, have made some amazing games with Titanfall, et cetera. But, you know, they're more like, you know, Nintendo, Rockstar, Bioware in terms of quality. You know, their DNA is to make, you know, the best product possible. And finally, I think EA is going to fuck this thing up. I, <laughs> I have a feeling that with this success, they have every executive trying to take responsibility or try to, get, you know, get some, you know, influence over it. And and ultimately, that could be a huge problem for the game because it just will be micromanaged to death. I'm hoping that Respawn will stay independent and let them do what they need to do. But it's definitely possible that, you know, EA execs will mess this thing up. Um, but fundamentally, uh, I think if this, in my view, this thing will be a failure if they don't make 500 million. Like, I think the opportunity here is to make about a half a billion dollars in online revenue if they do it right. And anything below that is probably because EA screwed it up. You know, and so that's, I think, the opportunity they have in front of them. And I'm just hoping they execute against that. So what do you think, Joseph? Uh, so I totally agree with you. And I, I think in terms of the risks that you mentioned, those three are actually really good. And, and in fact, like from my own perspective, if I were thinking about risks, I would also have brought up sort of live ops as well as monetization. But that third point that you brought up, I, I didn't think about at, at all, but, you know, kind of. Kind of thinking about it, I, I guess that's that's absolutely true in terms of you know the politics of of EA and and not or potentially not having the right 
organizational and sort of publisher developer relationship stru- structure. So yeah, I, I felt that that was a really good, good point. Um, and then we also mentioned from last time that we really felt, you know, Apex was, was really positioned in the right way and, and was a really good product at the right time. And it's good to, to see that it's sort of continuing its ascent and really becoming a, a really strong and viable competitor to Fortnite. And so for me, the, the additional point that I just wanted to make is to really just underscore the time and period that we're in. That's, that's, you know, really marked by these huge fundamental shifts in the marketplace for free to play games. And so when we think about it, there, there's actually kind of three big changes that have, have happened because of Fortnite and Apex, which is, you know, first of all, you know, Battle Royale and, and that game mode, which you know, was a, you know, fundamental shift causing a, a pretty massive change from a gameplay perspective. Secondly, we saw a massive shift from gotcha and collection-based monetization free-to-play to cosmetics-based monetization and, and battle pass. And, you know, in, in, you know, I think in Japan, there, there has always been um, pretty significant monetization from cosmetics, but certainly from uh, a brighter audience and, and from the Western market, that's kind of new. And just thinking more specifically about Apex, uh, the the final fundamental shift is 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 actually about marketing. I think this is less understood, but um, again, the bigger takeaway, at least from a- a- Apex, and we talked in previous pro- podcasts about how Epic was trying to push, you know, um, game recommendations and, and marketing out of the Epic launcher, the Epic Store, and into influencer influencers and influencer programs. And so I, I think both Fortnite and now Apex show just how much scale and impact at impact influencers have from a game marketing perspective. And so, um, you know, to a large degree, you know, Apex has Fortnite to thank for helping create influ- influencers at scale like Ninja, right? And so like Ninja himself has become a scaled marketing channel. And uh, so, so, you know, I, I would basically, you know, uh, uh, suggest to, to players to re, uh, suggest to, to our audience to really check out like the the graphic that shows the um, the registered player count velocity of Fortnite to Apex, and that really shows you the the impact that kind of influencer marketing and this new channel has, and the ability for it to really scale games to a really significant degree. But anyway, that that that's it, and um, just want to finally just say that it's you know really interesting times we're in, and really happy to see more success in the space. Yeah, okay? yeah. I mean, when I look at it, the uh, the apex is is really covered the sort of a uh, six pieces that are important when when going with a battle royale game or or any kind of large PvP game. So first of all, it was launching big and going all in. That's what they did. You know, they didn't skim. They didn't try to do any kind of a soft launch or any things like that. It's just straight big out of the gate. The second part, which I really like about Apex Legends is that it's differentiated meaningfully. So, you know, when you look at the game, it might look like a cartoony art style or a stylized art style compared to the cartoony art style of Fortnite and the realistic art style of Battlegrounds. But actually the team play, the class system, that really adds the social element, which is the most important thing for games like this because you have to get players playing together. And the other differentiation is naturally the first person first person shooter aspect, which is, you know, player unknown battlegrounds does have it, but a lot of players play in third person. 
and and yeah the compact sort of a shooter maps so differentiation was done very meaningfully as joe as you said the game relies on influencers and and that's that's absolutely crucial and and you know they are doing those improvements as eric was saying to the core gameplay and i think that's very important because it plays to that influencer part and that again plays through the marketing and and how the game is is growing one thing that I think you guys missed was was how devoted the community is for Apex Legends. I think they've done better jobs than PUBG or Fortnite in, in building that community. Their uh, community managers are very active, uh, very um, clear. Um, clear they, they're not corporate at all, which which makes it really nice. And then you can actually you know interact with them. And then finally, they they flipped the business case in a lot of sense, just like just like just like all of these games in the sense that they came out and and all they do care about is is building that community, building that player base and then monetizing it later. And this has worked to PUBG, for example. It came on mobile. It didn't monetize at all. It had no in-app purchase possibilities, but it just wanted to come out first before Fortnite and did it extremely well. And we've seen Fortnite as well as PUBG kind of improve their monetization as they've gone forward. So I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on what Apex Legends can achieve. But I do, I do share the same worries that they kind of need to be left um, to some extent alone because yes, they don't have the live op, op live ops experience, and and I think EA can help a lot, a lot with that because you know they've they've gone done pretty good jobs with with games like FIFA in, in terms of live operations and microtransactions. So that's my take. All right, cool. So the next article is from Digital Trends titled Microsoft Wants Xbox Game Pass on PS4, Cross-Platform News Expected at GDC 2019. And to just just give you a brief overview of this article, um, according to Phil Spencer, uh, Microsoft's Executive VP of Gaming, um, they're, they're sort of changing the definition of Xbox over the last few years. So for example... Releasing console-exclusive games on PC, trying to offer Xbox Lives on Nintendo Switch, and now trying to get Game Pass on PlayStation. And so Spencer announced that Xbox Game Pass subscribers will get launch day access to all new Microsoft games as part of their monthly fee, and they will have unlimited playtime with all of the games. And uh, this initiative is already being pursued for mobile devices via the Project xCloud program, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, but xCloud is a game streaming service similar to Google's Project Stream and also supporting Bluetooth controllers. The article further uh, talks about rumors also suggesting that the next Xbox One will be digital only. And the article also notes that cross-platform play between Xbox One and other systems are already implemented for a small number of games like Fortnite, Rocket League, and Minecraft. Finally, the article concludes with the expectation that most of this upcoming news will be announced during GDC. And again, that's uh, for us next week. So my own take on this is that, um, you know, it's it's really exciting time for, for, for games, especially from, you know, a distribution perspective and, and the potential to see subscription-based business model. Although, we, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, that model is extremely challenged. But um, the only other thing I want to say is that, man, is it bad to be GameStop, you know, like uh, Dislex consoles are pretty much, you know, um, really kicking a dead dog. So uh, I think that's really bad news. But yeah, definitely interesting to see um, 
whether uh, Game Pass will show up on PlayStation. And um, there was news in the past about it showing up on um, Nintendo Switch, which now seems like it, you know, it's not clear whether that'll happen or or not. Um, Eric? Well, there is no freaking way that Microsoft... (laughs) is going to have anything on PS4. That is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I, I was actually kind of not, I don't think it would they even do it on Switch, but um, but no way that Sony would do this. Sony is so old school about this sort of thing. You know, they haven't even let EA do their, you know, uh, premium pass on the, on the platform yet. Although I know they were in discussions to try to make that happen. Um, you know, I'm a little worried for Sony in, in this point because I think Sony is 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 so drunk on their own success that they're going to be really slow in the adoption of this cross-platform stuff and streaming and all this other stuff. And I think they will lead the the next generation cycle for sure, but they may lose it in the back half as streaming technology gets more and more compelling and the content gets more and more compelling and cross-platform becomes more mainstream. Um so I, I do think Sony has some risks next time, next 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 cycle, but again, particularly this right now during this generation, there's just no way that uh, Microsoft stuff is going to be on Sony's platforms. Just full stop. And then I totally agree with you on GameStop, like this disklist thing, which is supposedly going to be announced soon, released in May. You know, maybe it's 150, 175 bucks, and it's just basically training people to. Uh, download games digitally so um it's 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 lights out for gamestop gamestop is basically going to announce a bunch of closed store closings probably in april um it's just going to be this you know they're going to circle the drain and just keep going 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 but they'll they'll be around for a while <laughs> just it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's just smaller i guess anyway that's my take mm. I got I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing. You know, I have no time for any console. I would love to play console games, but that's not my business. So, well, whatever. But let's talk about Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> and Nintendo asking its mobile gaming partners to tone down the microtransaction. So this was an interesting article at, on XDA developers by a writer called Doug Lynch. So I'm going to quote a little bit what he was writing. So, quote, the video games industry has seen a massive shift in two key areas. The first being that video game publishers are pushing for more games to be sold as, quote, live services, unquote, which enables the fans of the game to continue playing long after a solo story campaign has ended. Another area has been the introduction of in-app purchases, but Nintendo is asking its mobile gaming partners to pull back on pushing microtransactions so hard. The author continues, when game publishers like EA or Ubisoft start to see slowdown in sales, the companies end up doing massive layoffs. Nintendo, on the other hand, has actually had multiple executives take a pay cut due to weak hardware sales. He also continues that instead of the following on the industry trends, Japanese video game maker has come out and told its mobile gaming partners to tone down the microtransaction in their games. For comparison, Activision Blizzard is seeing over half of its revenue coming from microtransactions and games like Epic's Fortnite is making hundreds of millions in revenue each month right now. And he concludes that sadly, these microtransaction methods tend to prey on the weak and exploit people of all ages. And Nintendo doesn't want to be seen in that same light. The company partners with mobile game developers such as DNA, but they are telling them 
not to integrate microtransactions as deeply and in the same fashion as other companies have. Instead, they have set themselves with a modest goal of $900 million in annual revenue, and they're happy with obtaining this goal in fair and balanced way. So I had to read a lot of the portions of the article because you have to kind of see the tone of it. And it's a classic sort of a fanboy article from a person who's clearly unfamiliar with how the free-to-play uh, industry and mobile games in general. So then I kind of zoomed down and I, I wanted to see some numbers on Sensor Tower and looking how Nintendo has fared on mobile. So overall, they have uh, they have about 64 million installs and about 260 million in net revenue last year. So not bad for a pretty new entrant in the category. But when you start breaking down their portfolio, you can clearly see that, first of all, 60% of revenue and only 10% of installs is coming from Japan. So they heavily rely on their home market on mobile as well. 25% uh, of the revenue comes from the U.S. and U.S. also accounts for 20% of the installs. And that pretty much goes, you know, everything else is about 1% to 2% of revenue and installs. So they kind of go hand in hand. Japan is the only one where the installs are significantly lower than the revenue. Uh, a year ago, Nintendo was making about $20 million a month in net revenue and about you know, 8.3 million installs. Out of their portfolio, Fire Emblem accounted for 80% of all revenues um, a year ago. And Animal Crossing um, was pretty much a disappointment with, with, um, with only 36 million in net revenue and 5 million installs. So, you know, that's not a bad number by any means. 30, that, that's about like 50 million in gross revenue with 5 million installs. But I would assume that it is still a little bit of a disappointment for a franchise that big. Uh, but when you start looking at it in January, the installs were down uh, to only 5 million a month. So from 8.3 to 5 million a month, while the revenues were up by 5 million a month. So Drogalia Loss had launched at that point and it had generated 55 million uh, in net revenue from 3 million in installs. So overall, it looks really good. Uh, they have Fire Emblem uh, Heroes. They came out with Dragalia. Uh, Fire Emblem was was not as big, but but other than that, things are going. Uh, sorry, Animal Crossing was not that big, but things were going pretty good. Yet, uh, when you look at the last month, and that's February, we see a giant drop. So Fire Emblem has lost fifty percent of its its revenue uh, in terms of run rate, and Dragalia lost went from. 10, 18 million uh, in net revenue a peak to 9 million in January to only 3 million in February. So something is happening. I don't know if if, if Nintendo is, is pushing already hard on, on, on de decreasing the microtransaction or what it is, but you can see Nintendo's revenue just in a free fall. Now, looking in the future of, of Nintendo, I think it still looks pretty bright. Um, Dragalia hasn't been as big of a game as 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 they probably expected. Fire Emblem Heroes has definitely been a bigger hit than, than probably anybody could expect. But in the future, they have uh, three interesting games that are going to launch. So number one is Mario Kart Tour, and which is targeted sometimes in, in the mid of 2019. And as we know, games like Tencent's QQ Speed are billion-dollar franchises. And and this is, this, is, um, this is one of the most perfect titles Nintendo can launch. I mean, if they can really handle the, the, the synchronous multiplayer, 
uh, this game has by far the biggest potential because the racing category is kind of, you know, dominated by very old titles, CSR Racing 2. And even that is more of a hardcore and they don't really have that sort of a uh, golf clash version of of, uh, of racing. So Mario Kart, I'm expecting huge, huge, huge things from this game. The second interesting game that they're launching this year is Dr. Mario World, which is actually a puzzle game. And, and in this case... Um, in, in this case, it's interesting. If it's if it's a casual puzzle, uh, sort of a you know type of match three type of game, I don't know if 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 it has that big of a potential just because of of, of the fact that none of these uh, IP based puzzle games have ever done too well in the market, and also the market is extremely competitive. It's almost like a marketing play right now. If you want to compete against uh, the Playrixes, the uh, the Peaks, and the Kings of this world. But if it's a puzzle RPG, I think it has phenomenal potential. Games like Empires and Puzzles have been extremely successful, especially with a female audience. And you bring in this sort of a very accessible puzzle game that that you know crossovers cross crosses over to all demographics like Mario, you know, solving diseases in in this in this Doctor Mario world with with matching different I don't know I don't know what the hell they match, but but I think it has a great potential. And then finally, they do have that Ace in their in their hand, which is Zelda. Uh, they haven't announced anything, but it's it's basically a TBD. So to summarize it, the way I see it is, is that Nintendo is, I mean, when you look at the microtransactions, I mean, Fire Emblem is is way up there in, in, in complicated puzzle RPG, not puzzle, uh, in complicated RPG games with with extremely intricate gotchas. The same thing with Dragalia. So I don't know what, what, what they're talking about here. Um, I think Nintendo is in a weird free fall in February. I don't know what's going on. So if somebody knows what's happening, please do send some kind of email or note or, you know, comment on, on, on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, wherever you're, you know, accessing this, this, this from. Uh, but I think their future looks bright. Mario Kart Tour, Dr. Mario World, and finally Zelda. Those are some powerful games that they have uh, for the future. So what do you think, Eric? You know, I'm a little unclear about who's writing this article. I mean, is this is this like a Wall Street Journal guy? I mean, it's such it, it's such fanboy nonsense. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't really kind of tease it out. Um, like, the only way <laughs> the only way you can be successful on mobile is to improve. You know, is to go after the monetization. I mean, the only games that have had real success for them are Fire Emblem. And, and to a lesser degree, um, Dragalia Loss, um, but both have like, you know, pretty predatory, you know, monetization mm-hmm. design with the loot, loot boxes, et cetera, whatever, gotcha stuff. Um, so anyway, I don't know who's writing this, but, uh, you know, when Nintendo first started uh, talking about getting into mobile phone development, I mean, Wall Street just absolutely loved it, right? They said, oh my God, this is huge potential for them. You know, a lot of them were saying it was going to be a billion dollar business. And back then I was like saying, look, guys, you know, it isn't a great opportunity for them. But the problem is they have too much creative integrity to actually do what you need to do uh, on mobile uh, to make money. And so ultimately, this is this article kind of confirms, you know, that whole thesis is that if you're going to try to like slow down monetization because, you know, you want I don't know why you would do that. (laughs) If you want to be competitive on mobile, you can't do that. Right. Um, So anyway, I don't know. It's just that's the whole business of free to play is, <laughs> is, is microtransactions. So uh, anyway, I, I, I hope that 
for the consumer, I'm, you know, maybe it's great. You know, they're going to, you know, tone it down a bit and make it more acceptable. But the, the, the other thing is the company has been hugely disappointed in, in, in their other games, you know, that, that just didn't do as well. The Mario game in particular um, said that's just not what they wanted from, from, from one of their major franchises. And so I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on their, on their pipeline. Um, uh, actually, I'm not really too clear. Mario world puzzle that ge- that game could be actually pretty big. If, if, even if they go, if they go mass or if they go core, I mean, I think that's kind of an interesting game. What I'm going to uh, disagree on this Mario Kart. Now I know Mario Kart is going to download a freaking gazillion times, right? I mean, it's going to just be absolutely massive from that perspective, but there has not been one game um, in the Western markets or in Japan for that matter that has done well with racing. And actually the, the one that I always use as an example is um, Angry Birds Racing, <laughs> whatever that racing one you guys did. And it, it downloaded like hundreds of millions of time, but it made like 15 million in revenue. <laughs> it was like pathetic, right? Yeah. It's really hard to monetize those games. And frankly, Mario Kart racing games in general, like those just are not good experiences on mobile devices. Um, so I think they're going to have some challenges trying to monetize that. Now, QQ does extremely well. You're totally right. It's a billion-dollar franchise, but it's only in China, right? There's no other market for that game. Um, so, and, and Nintendo has absolutely no brand equity in China. So I don't think them releasing it there would actually help at all either. So I, I think, again, Mario Kart will be a huge boon for the company from the perspective of marketing and, and downloads. And I just I'm questioning whether they're going to, be able to monetize it that well. Um, and then also if they're trying to tone down monetization, which is, uh, you know, then, then that's going to make it even worse. <laughs> so that's kind of my take Zelda. You know, I think that's interesting. I think they're going to be really careful about what they do with Zelda on, 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 on mobile, but um, there's no indication that, that there's a Zelda any coming anytime soon. So that's kind of my quick take. Uh, my take on this is that, if we want to give some context to what disappointment means for Nintendo, I, I think we're talking about more the scale of the revenue rather than margins. And so from a competitive perspective, I actually think that, I, you know, what Nintendo is doing, kind of talking down harsh, you know, mic- microtransactions and, and sort of predatory practices, that's exactly what I would be doing as well as Nintendo, because the, in my opinion, they're, they're kind of playing to their strengths, which is, which is margin, right? Because... They have the power of brand, massive free organic downloads, and also the power of just limited financial exposure through partnerships and licensing. And, and so from a Nintendo perspective, um, they aren't like the startups or other non-IP-based companies that are barely surviving on margin of getting LTVs just you know a hair above eCPIs and pumping every spare dollar into user acquisition. And so what they're sitting on is they're sitting on, you know, a, a big margins. And so for them, if they can compress some of that margin, then they can potentially like, you know, get a lot of other people in the market out of the business. And so the, the point I'm making is that if you're Nintendo, why wouldn't you be taking a shot at the industry and trying to be perceived as a friendlier free-to-play mobile al- alternatives, especially when you have, you know, margin to spare. So squeeze out competitors who can't survive on lower margin and eat up market share. So from my perspective, this is just classic Japanese business strategy. Wait, but okay, I, look, I, I I can't argue with that. I mean, it, it is kind of smart, but their stock is down like forty percent, right, and going down, right. They 
they did not perform as nearly as well on the Switch. I mean, the Switch has been so successful from a hardware perspective, but from a software perspective, it's just not doing as well as they needed to do in order to, you know, build momentum in the marketplace and 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 help the stock, right? And so, I understand that you know they want to do what they need to do in order to like, uh, you know, you know, keep their creative integrity intact with these mobile games, but they they need to they need to pump up revenue, you know, and and the switch. Again, I, we've talked about this before. Is like eighty percent of the revenue, according to MPD, is Nintendo, right? Like, that's not a, that is not a successful platform, right? You need to have third party have success on the platform and and create an ecosystem that that goes beyond the Nintendo um, content, right? And that builds um, and expands the market for your for your console. And so, the so anyway. My point is they should be using other platforms to build different businesses because the 3DS is dead and all they have is a Switch right now. And so mobile could be their, you know, second platform um, to, uh, you know, optimize and to drive revenue. But if if that's not what they're going to do, then I don't know how they can actually grow, you know, going forward. Um, so anyway, from an investment perspective, you know, Nintendo just does not feel good right now. Um, but maybe from the player perspective, it feels wonderful. So that maybe that's, yeah. that's their well, angle. If you're taking, right. And if you're taking a longer term view for, for mobile, you know, I, I can kind of see that. Like it allows them to maintain their competitive or their, their creative integrity as well as, you know, trying to squeeze out competition for the longer term play. But yeah. yeah and, it, 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 and the other thing that does, like even Mario was a great marketing tool, right? I think part of the reason that they had, I think a lot of success with the Switch was because they had all these mobile games that were absolutely massive that got kids and other people engaged with their content because the Wii U was a disaster, right? And so, you know, may, you know, the majority of the audience just kind of skipped that whole generation, right? So, you know, these games coming out and downloading a gazillion times like Mario kind of helped build the zeitgeist around Nintendo in general. And then also these, um, um, what do you call this, micro consoles with, uh, you know, the, all the old content were also great marketing tools. I don't know if they made a lot of money off those, but they, but they got them in the discussion, you know, about games, you know, and with all these kids playing Fortnite and, and, you know, moving on to more compelling and, and different types of content for them. Um, they need to be in the discussion, but what my worry is is that they're going to be continually be marginalized um, as as just you know their own platform. That's that again. That cannot that that does not is is not a recipe for long term success as a platform if if it's only their content being consumed. So. All right. Sounds good. I think that that, that does it, unless there's uh, any other remaining comments. No, I think I think we crushed it. 35 minutes of, of news. And and next up is is GDC, where we're doing a live <laughs> podcast from, right? <laughs> Let's do it. I'm just Are kidding. we really? No, we're not. No, we're not. It's only, only JK walks around with a camera crew. He's such a, you know, the guy moves to LA and now he has a camera crew following him. So, so it was, a, it was expected. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. We'll see you guys next week. Well, excited. Yeah. And and no twig next week. Just follow JK's YouTube channel uh, for, for all the, uh, all the content on the people behind the games. <laughs> All right. Until next week, guys.
All right. Bye. bye. See you.